0: He's a rehab doctor from Chicago.
1: She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities.
0: Together, we're examining the health equity emergency.
1: Inviting voices for change without the cue cards.
0: I'm Dr. Carrie Haley.
1: I'm Dr. Stephen Jackson. And And this this is is Off the the Charts. Charts. Today we're gonna be having an important conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, go figure, right? But now we're gonna talk specifically about our anti-racism teams, particularly in the surgical services department. So we have guests and members of the region's surgical services, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. So as I call them up one by one, don't be shy, put these two things together and make some noise. First, we have Laura Barnes. Welcome, Laura. Welcome. we have Nick Holmes. And we have Drea Bauer. And last but definitely not least, Megan Gallon.
0: Guys, thank you so much for being here and your group. I think just to kick things off and start, let's hear a little bit more about who you are, what your group is, and a little bit of the history behind it.
2: So I'm Laura. I'm a CRNA at Regions. So we are the Region Surgical Services Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We're made up of certified registered nurse anesthetists, um, registered nurses, certified surgical technologists, and anesthesia technologists. But we are looking to expand our group to the sterile processing department, surgical aides, and surgical uh, care assistants. We believe that including everybody helps is important because... It's important to have an inclusive work environment and focus on collaboration. Um, yeah. So, specifically, I'm a CRNA. Uh, again, that's a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Um, so, I'm an advanced practice nurse um, who does anesthesia and in the hospital.
3: And when you started talking about expanding our group, I thought you were going to mention how we're hiring here at Regents <laughs> Hospital. <laughs> if anybody on Air's Blessing wants to come work with okay. us, come find us. Um, <laughs> my name is Nick Gomez. I'm the anesthesia manager at Regents Hospital. Uh, I manage over about... Um, 60 CRNAs that work within our department, and at the surgery center across the way, uh, we also employ CRNAs there as well. So I get to work with Laura every day, which is pretty awesome. I started as a, a CRNA in the operating room as a nurse anesthetist, and I've kind of risen up to the manager level as of March of this year, so kind of excited about that new role, and very excited about where this committee has taken us over the last few years.
0: I'm Drea. I'm a certified surgical technologist. Uh, Basically, what we do in the OR is we make sure all the equipment's there, supplies, instrumentation, and we set up every surgical case for every doctor. And then we maintain the sterile field and then it's just the surgeons. So we're like in there with them.
1: I remember being a a surgical intern and I I met some pretty Pretty scary surgery. Uh, I knew my place when
4: I was a young doctor, so thank you, <laughs> i Hi, Megan. Um, I'm a registered nurse in the pre-op and post-op area, um, kind of depending on the day or where the patients are. we Either I work pre-op and get patients prepared for surgery, make sure their lab work's done, that they're all teed up, um, that they've done their prep that they're supposed to do and provide a lot of emotional support before going in. And then on the post-op side, um, ABCs, uh, making sure their airway is doing okay right after they come out right from anesthesia, a lot of pain management, uh, managing vital signs and providing interventions as needed.
1: That's awesome. So, yeah. so I mean, this is obviously an important group. We're going to talk about the important work that you guys do and even why a group such as this one is important. But how did you guys get started?
3: um i can i can start with that one but it was during the height of that pandemic in 2021 when all of us were feeling even more isolated from each other and um, we were recovering from the events happening with george floyd uh the hospital gave us an initiative to expand a diversity equity inclusion committee within surgical services um so Myself, along with Milana Estrada, who's here today, <laughs> yeah. we uh, we came together and we we kind of created this committee and pulled in members from different uh, specialties and from across the across the street. We had sur- uh, our surgery center with Julie Yang there, and so we had different team members and, and Tommy Reed was part of it as well. So we had a really uh, collaborative effort with a lot of different people. We started by talking about issues that were important to us, what was happening around the hospital and around the city and state. And we just kind of went from there. Um, We wanted to educate people about what was going on with our lives and our our different things in our cultures and we did that through a series of different media like posters and uh uh, bulletin boards and one thing we wanted to do was presentations so right here in this auditorium uh, we had a presentation by tommy Reed. he gave us a wonderful presentation about transgender care for our our patients here at the hospital the history of transgender population and uh, how to incorporate different um care techniques within our daily practice um things involving epic and it was it was wonderful it was just a, just a really eye-opening presentation we appreciated that Tommy and and he talked also about the political landscape what's going on in the in the in the country and how important it is to learn about everybody around you so uh it was it was really eye-opening we really appreciated that um the next presentation we had up was Joangela Amores. uh she um was a registered nurse and educator within our department that uh, gained her nursing degree from in the Philippines. And then she talked about her history of how she got her nursing degree and moved to the United States and, and what a process and how, how hard that was. Uh, it was really amazing. And we got to eat some really delicious Filipino food that day, too. So I uh, brought in some food from um, um, Apoy. Uh, a our restaurant. group
2: really likes food, and so many <laughs> of our objectives are food motivated.
3: Exactly, and uh, we Obviously. went. <laughs> <laughs> it must be late. I don't know. But, uh... But the next, yeah, well, then we went with food, and then we went to Midtown Global Marketplace in Minneapolis as a big group event, and uh, we learned about how to make Moroccan food and Moroccan flavors. It was it was phenomenal. We got to really practice how to make food and eat the food, obviously.
2: We and actually made the food ourselves and, like, had a big <laughs> interactive uh,
3: demonstration.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of nice. fun.
3: Yeah. And then, last but not least, the last event we went to was at uh, Bole Restaurant in St. Paul, an Ethiopian restaurant. So, I mean... If you haven't been there yet, just there I mean, go. wait till the podcast is over now. But then, yeah. <laughs> then go, it was—it's really good. Uh, but we found that just kind of through gathering around food, you know, it just brought, brought people together and just opened up so many more conversations. So uh, those have kind of been our some of our big initiatives that we've done over the last couple of years.
0: Those are awesome. I love I love the connection with the food. It's definitely important. <laughs> When, you, when you've been doing these events, like, have you felt like your community has been growing now that you've been going on for a year? Has the word been spreading? And how have you been doing Then how have you been successful with it?
2: I feel like the more, um, so we have a uh, newsletter that we send out, um, and then we include pictures of, like, the events we're doing. And the more, like, smiles, the more people come in more and more. Um, like, our outing to Belay got a lot of people because it's food and it was an easy way to attract people into the group. And a lot of those people have stayed on with the group. Um, even down to, um, we had someone, so we have a big uh, bulletin board um, that we change every month to um, talk about different like uh, DEI things in the community and whatnot. And um, there was a person interviewing for a position in regions and they recognized the board and were like, oh, this is so cool. So it's even people beyond our group that are liking it.
4: I was just kind of personal. We brought our kids to Bowling and started yeah. getting, like, our kids involved. And they felt like they were part of, like, a traveling food group they decided <laughs> yeah. by the end. <laughs> so I think that's been good, too, like, kind of even spreading into, like, our families. And well, your kid ordered a um,
2: a whole fish. <laughs> a whole fish. And he, like, he had so much Devon fun <laughs> with it. <that> he <laughs> deboned it. And then he was putting it all back together. And, like, it was just cool because... That's not a typical American no. dish. Um, so it was you know, fun. And the younger you get involved in that, the more that's
4: normalized. Normal.
2: Yeah. yeah. Making it normal.
1: I love it. Well, we all have to eat, right? So yes. why not yeah. learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion around some good food, even if it's a big fish? So uh, <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, what, what, I, what I like about what I'm hearing uh, is what you said, um, Laura, about we're, we're kind of redefining normal. Talked about that in other in other episodes, where normal may not be you know steak and potatoes. Normal might be you know whatever you guys ate or wherever you went, and you know I think it takes bravery, it takes courage, it takes stepping outside of your comfort zone um, to grow. You know um, you're not going to grow if you just do the familiar, you say the familiar, you talk to the familiar. Sometimes you got to put yourself out there to learn. You realize that yeah. There, there's other things out there to learn and to do. <laughs>
2: and that's what a couple of people were really excited about with like our going out to different restaurants that we were finding that people were like, I want to try a different cuisine but I don't know what to try. And I don't wanna go by myself cause I don't wanna be embarrassed or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And so having a group that is safe and you, know, you can make the wrong move and it'll be okay um, has been
1: really helpful. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we've kind of talked about too, in general. Uh, you know, just the concept of of messing up good. You know, in other words, you know, having that grace and having that, that safe space because you're going to say things wrong. You know, uh, but that's that's why we have safe spaces. That's why we have people that support us and care about us that will gently correct us and educate us, and you know, not beat us down at least not in public. So. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think that's great what you guys are doing. I'm curious to know about any of the challenges. You know, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion isn't always easy, uh, even for whether you're a subject matter expert or somebody who does it all the time. Sometimes it can be nerve-wracking. You don't want to say the wrong thing again. So any challenges or any stories? That
2: you well, know? one of the challenges was our um, interpreter services. Do
4: you want to talk about that? Maybe? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so before COVID, I think it was we would often bring an interpreter into the OR. Like they could get a bunny suit and whatever, but then COVID hits. And then that's more PPE use. So that's more risk to infection. And so that got kind of taken away. And so unfortunately, non-English speakers were, they're kind of being, they were prepped by the OR team in pre-op saying, this is what we're going to do, X, Y, Z. And that works if they're um, awake and attentive and not too anxious to hear what is going on and they're being moved into a different environment and not knowing it and not understanding what's going on. And so we were trying to figure out a way to like, how can we still have an interpreter in there, but we're not allowed to have a person. So we had come up with this idea that we're like, oh my gosh, we'll make these, you know, index cards with sayings on them and the CRNA can, you know, read it and we'll work with interpreter services and they can tell us all the words to put down on these cards and then we'll be able or hold them up for them. So then we have a meeting with interpreter services and that was very quickly shot down. And we, um, and it was, it was one of those moments where it was like, we were so excited for this. And then it was like, that's not going to work. And we're like, Oh, okay. And then he went on to explain about how like language, you know, isn't necessarily transferred into writing spoken language into writing the way that we think it does with English or, there's tone and infliction, but there's just was many, many reasons that this was not going to work. And so um, he's like, well, do you have phones in the room? And I'm like, yeah, we could call the language line, but they're still like back on the wall, like trying to hear the patient. That might not work. Um, and then he brought up getting an iPad. And I mean, I think we kind of at first were like, I, we always talk here about budget. and Like there's I don't know who's going to approve buying us another iPad. Um, because we do have two, we have one that we use in the pre-op area, one in the post-op area, and they're used frequently, especially on off-shifts. But um, he set us up with his budget guy and they looked at how often and how many minutes were used on the iPads we currently have and said, yeah, like you guys have been using these plenty. You should you have used it enough that you can get a third one. And then uh, we worked with infection control and got that approval to keep it back in the ore. So that turned out to be, it worked out. It was just never at all how we had envisioned it. And it was completely worth it. I have used
2: it a lot with C-sections. We have a very diverse um, population in this Area and I had specifically one woman I can remember. Um, she was Spanish speaking, and my Spanish is very minimal. It kind of ends at hola. Um, <laughs> so, this patient came into the room, and I was able to talk with her through this iPad and tell her what was going on and really decrease her anxiety because the dad doesn't come back at the very beginning of a C section. And I was able to find out, you know, throughout the whole thing are you in pain? Or are you just a little anxious? Like, how can I help you? What can I talk you through um, so that this is the most positive
0: experience possible? Those are huge. I, we have those in the emergency department, too. And I feel like especially if you get the actual video yeah. interpreter, not just the audio interpreter, it can make a world of difference. And it's far less painful I feel for both the patient and you, yeah. because... You can actually see faces with the eye, with the video one. You can see facial expressions, interpretations of things, and they can help see that of the patient, too, to help you kind of interpret those things. Do you feel that in your space that this is something that has made a big difference for also you as providers and your patients? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. um,
2: we can find out. Things just low as, like I said, uh, if you're in pain, but I can also chat about like your medical history. Um, it's very challenging to ask someone about, you know, do you have um, MH or other very obscure things if I can't ask you, you know, has anybody had a high temperature during anesthesia? Mm-hmm. Um, and just simple things where it's easier to translate that and actually get
1: an accurate representation. I think uh, yeah, we when we were talking, Pre-production, you know, we talked about uh, the concept of, of shifting our culture and how, um, yeah, we we serve in a diverse population and people have different needs. And you know, one of the definitions of equity is sort of giving people what they need so they can be successful, whatever that successful context is. In this case, obviously, a successful C-section, right, or surgery, etc. Um, and you know, that cultural shift takes place when. You know, me as a physician, I go and I see that this, this patient that I'm about to see needs an interpreter. Me not having an attitude about that, Or me not having, you know, that thought of, gosh, I have a lot of patients. Now I have to go find an interpreter or now I have to go find an iPad. We talk often, you know, we got some people that I've worked with a lot on this. We talk often about uh, embedding equity into what we do and not being extra and not being just a topic every now and again at, at a department meeting, but it be embedded in everything that we do to the point where it affects our attitudes and our mindset, not just our actions, too. Uh, I'm not going to call out somebody in the audience, but we talk about the different, uh, the different levels of, you know, whether it's a, you know, mentalization to acceptance to, and I probably messed it up, so talk to me after. <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to her episode. Yeah, go back and listen to her episode. That'd be Sydney. Sydney, All right. So, um, I guess I want to ask, you know, why is a group like this important? You know, uh, tell the audience and and to the naysayers out there that say, oh, we don't need groups like that. You know, treat people like people. It'll be okay. Why is this important?
4: I'll actually say, well, just coming off of the iPad, I'll say, you know, without having the interpreter, It's very basic. I feel like I'm not able to be personable with somebody. It's very just like putting the blood pressure on, just very quick, brief. Or if I, if the interpreter could have only come for five minutes, until we had like those iPads or the ability, like I actually can like laugh with a patient now and have a conversation or ask about the like, even kind of change the subject of like the exact medical situation that's happening. Because often we see people when they're having their worst day, Mm -hmm. and and then. to not have that ability to communicate and be just human, you humanizing with that. And, the Yeah, and just be normal. Let's just talk about work, talk about kids. Like, mm-hmm. what did your wild kid do today? Like, I I feel like I can do that, even if it's a person on the iPad. Like, you can get them laughing and communicating. And without that, I feel like it's just very dry, and you don't want to be. But yeah, it it has, makes it a lot harder, and then I feel like I'm not giving my best, and they're not getting the best from what the hospital has to offer when we don't utilize those things.
2: And even beyond patients, um, there's a really big correlation with DEI in the workplace and um, better employment engagement or employee engagement, retention and productivity. Um, Our employees want to know Um, they want you to know about them and their culture and what they're celebrating and what's important to them. And that's one of the things our group really focuses on, both on that bulletin board and in the newsletter is what are the different holidays? Um, We're all, you know, we're more familiar with um, the typical holidays that we all celebrate, but it's fun to talk about Ramadan and um, other, yeah, yeah, other holidays and Different functions that people in our community are excited about, and our uh, you know coworkers are excited about.
3: When you were talking about equity a minute ago, it made me think about you know one of the biggest one of the biggest things we serve is just to allow those differences to come out and to provide a format for people to come to us with questions, so that we're you know we're celebrating all those differences, which I feel like is you know. Emblematic of what equity means, you know, is that you know you're you're learning all about the same, learning about everybody around you, so that we can all be on the same level of understanding, you know, which is you know, so important with equity. And I feel like our committee has, you know, you know we're just still young, you know, and still growing with it all. But I feel like the word is getting out more about the committee itself, and and people are more and more interested and more comfortable with coming and talking to us about anything that's on their minds.
0: Do you have any thoughts for other groups out there who haven't yet formed their own community or there's maybe one or two people that are interested, but not fully engaged with the rest of their department? Any recommendations to like get the ball rolling, get things started? How do you get that engagement within your own service? Well, that's how our
2: group started was one or two people who were excited and wanted to do it. And as you do fun activities and you know entice people into the group um whether that's food or a fun activity or something people will come like this group has already expanded um even since january we've added four new members so starting at one or two people is enough to start
3: mm-hmm. just be persistent you know
4: yeah. it doesn't have it, to be
3: anything big there has
4: there's been know. meetings where it's just a handful <laughs> yeah. of us and we just we'll and down, down. might yeah. just be a few of us at. You know, Oh. Or at whatever, and then more. All of a sudden, people showed up at restaurants that we weren't even expecting. Like, yeah. yeah, I think just being persistent and that I don't know, staying true to like I still believe in this and think it's important, and also show up.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. And I know uh, I've been a beneficiary of of working with uh, different groups around your organization. Shout out PFS PFA <laughs> Patient <laughs> Financial uh, it, it it's, it's just been awesome. Uh, just to see people passionate and engaged. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, movement start with one or two people, like you said. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you know, Jimmy, you probably can explain this better than I can, but, you know, when you think about the iPhone, you have those that stand in line in the rain, right? Uh, the day before it comes out, you have those that still have an iPhone 8. Don't raise your hand. If you're <laughs> uh, you know, the early adopters, and you have those that kind of lag behind. And I say that to say, uh, we often talk about, uh, Tui, our, our chief diversity officer, she talks about how we're all on that moving sidewalk and you have that lane where people stand you have the lane where people walk, some people are running because they're late, some people are actually walking on the carpet, they don't want to even be on the sidewalk but either way we are all trying to go in the same direction and um, let's see, what was I going with that? Oh yeah <laughs> we're, we're, we're all in different, uh, different areas uh, of the journey but either way you know, the need is there the need is there for I mean, things I'm hearing already is connection, you know, um, without the iPad interpreter, or without the in-person interpreter, there's a good chance that our interactions can be transactional. You know, like I give you ten dollars, you give me my change back. That's a transaction as opposed to how was your day or are you comfortable or how was that wild kid today? How did school go? Those kinds of things. That's what people walk away remembering. You know, they might not remember that technical word you use to talk about their procedure. But like Maya Angelo said, they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I think this is kind of what we're talking about. Um, you know, any aha moments, you know, not only with the group, but maybe even any experiences that you guys have had that have caused you to, to grow in a different way?
2: This is slightly outside of the group, but I'm involved in Scrubs Camps, um, which is a initiative by the Minnesota State um, Health Force Center for Excellence, Um, and it gets, uh, I go to middle schools and high schools to talk to people about becoming CRNAs because a lot of people have no idea what a CRNA is or what they do or how to get to that spot in your life. And one of my aha moments is I I bring a mannequin. And so the kids can all intubate the mannequin. So put a breathing tube down and they can see if the breathing tube went into the lungs or it went into the stomach, and it's always trying to get that first person. It's like, please somebody do it. <laughs> and then the first person does it and everybody wants to do it. So it's kind of that aha moment of people, like you just gotta get people involved
0: and they will like it.
3: I'll say as far as like engaging other people to be part of your committee, my aha moments are like when I see certain people that have that kind of spark and you you just need to sometimes approach them and say, hey, maybe you'd wanna be part of this committee and I think you do a good job, you know, on this committee, do you have any interest? And then, so sometimes people are interested, but they just need that little bit of push. And so then you see somebody that steps up and then takes over as
1: the committee chair and, and it's you're just like, aha, did it, you know? <laughs> and so that's been pretty exciting. I think you also see uh, people that, that like to sit back and observe, you know, is this real? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously uh, a lot of our increase in conversations regarding diversity, equity, inclusion stem from a lot of, tragedies, you know, George Floyd obviously is a huge one, but there are others, you know, there are a lot of names to mention on a list of, you know, timeless or senseless deaths, I should say. Um, but, you know, wow, this, this is popular now. We're talking about DEI a lot. And, you know, some are waiting for it to die down. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not gonna die down. If you're waiting for it, you know, it's too bad. It's not going to die down because, honestly, this is where we have always needed to be. You know, there were some unfortunate events that perhaps woke us all up and led us to where we need to be. But I'm so glad that we're able to have conversations today that maybe we wouldn't have been able to have three or four years ago. And I don't know about you all, but I'm getting more comfortable with the uncomfortable. And again, I think that's where we need to be. That's how we change. We change it. Uh, I think with discomfort, more so than comfort, and uh, yeah.
2: That's kind of some of the beauty of that Scrubs camp. Um, They specifically try to get underrepresented, underserved communities into those Scrub camps. Um, And so they're hoping that over that these students choose uh, careers in healthcare, um, so that we do diversify healthcare. Because when you go into healthcare, you want to see somebody who looks like you, who you know understands your situation, and you can talk to them about that. And this is kind of the positive of
0: uh, talking with these students young is they hopefully will diversify our our lives and our workforces. We've talked a lot on our podcast, too, about trust. It's been a huge theme. I'd love to hear a little bit more about from maybe from each one of you, like how you have built building trust into your practice and into your group. Because expanding a DEI group, getting initiatives started, all requires trust from your own members and for the people that you're trying to give the service to. So parting words. I mean, I feel like honestly, it's. I feel like I've actually gotten closer to people that I never would have,
4: don't interact with as much, like, would be more just in passing. And it is a comfort level of knowing that, like, we think alike, we feel like, I think, I feel safe with you. Like, I, I I mean, not that I've ever, I guess, I'm a pretty loud forward person. I don't really hide <laughs> how I not. feel. <laughs> but it is, it is nice to know there are people who aren't. And so I guess I feel like at least I've created the safe space and then I've met other people who I didn't, that I didn't know cared as passionately about this stuff. I've joined and just, we've all gotten closer. And that's been really fun for me, honestly.
0: I mean, I just think just, of course, like we're getting to know each other and just showing other people in our department that like, we are, we can support each other. And like, no matter our differences, like we can still like communicate and like work on it and, I mean, I might disagree with someone else, but then you might be a whole like thinking like, okay, I like how you think versus like, I think about it this way. I mean, so I think it's just really showing that we can all be a team and still, I guess, en- enjoy what we do.
3: <laughs> and I think as far as building trust in other people, it starts with learning each other's names and, you know, greeting them in the hallways every day and just, you know, starting that relationship up early. So you know, I think about you know talking with with Tommy or JoAngela about doing their presentations, and you know they were putting their trust in the DEI committee that we would allow them to give this presentation in a safe space that you know they would be able to talk to people and really tell their story, and that's the point where you hope to get with people is that they'll trust to do, trust in you that you won't let them down, and so I think that's the biggest thing that this committee is also helping with is that it's building trust amongst everybody
1: else.
2: So anesthesia is unique in that um, most of the time that I spend with a patient, they are unconscious and they are not going to remember. So I really have that, you know, three to five minutes at the beginning before um, I help, you know, start the anesthesia that I get to connect with them. And it's important that I am able to connect to any group of people to help them feel as calm as possible. And that's, I think... One of the cool parts of this committee is I get to chat with them about different events that are coming up and uh, just making them feel comfortable.
1: I like, Nick, what you said about uh knowing a person's name. I mean, how, how often have you guys heard? I'm not going to even attempt to say that, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's a joke and it's fun, but I mean, it might not be fun for the person. You know, this is, this is their name, you know. They, they've had this name for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and so... Try it. Mm-hmm. If you mess up, you mess up. Try it though. It shows it. It shows that you care about them as a person. You know, let's talk about a person who wants to be known and heard and supported and protected. And that first interaction, hey, Mister. Oh, I'm not going to try that. You know, that might not be a good start. So that might be something to think about. You know? And
3: and don't be afraid to ask again. You know, it's like you know. So many times I introduce myself to somebody, and then. A month goes by and I see him again and I've, and I've tried to get better at saying I know we've introduced each other before but can you tell me your name again and and they said I forgot your name too so <laughs> I think it goes both ways
1: and, and
3: nobody really cares you know
0: so I guess. Thanks for being here, and thanks for all the support that you've been giving us over the last year. It's been so good to have such great feedback from everybody. To know that you're listening, to know that we're saying things that maybe change a little bit of your thought, it just blows my mind, honestly. Um, and I love that we're all here, and that there's things that might even come from me being here all yeah. together, which is
1: super cool. I'm saying like some kind of outdoor event with food. Yeah. With food. <laughs> A softball or a volleyball or something, you know, mm-hmm. so much you can do. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so I'm so thankful uh, for this opportunity. That like Jimmy always says, I, I get to do this. Yeah, I mean, this is work, and I get to do this. This is like cool. Uh, and you know, I ask for your ongoing support. Spread the word. Spread the love. Spread the message. And uh, let's keep it going. Let's keep moving the needle because uh, we have a great opportunity to do so. So. Thank you guys so much. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicolet.
0: It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arntzen, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondal.
1: Production service is provided by Matriarch Digital Media.
0: Our theme music is by Ryan Icke.